show with me, Dan, and my guest, Jade. How you doing, Jade? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to have you back. Um, yeah, it's good to be back on the show. I really enjoyed listening to us the last time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed doing it more than listening to myself back, to be fair. I, yeah, uh, when you listen to yourself back, it's always like, oh, I need to stop saying that or <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to stop umming or saying like or things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, for anyone who's uh, tuning in or didn't uh, listen to the last episode um, me and Jade did together, um, just a quick um, summary of what it was. We were talking about uh, the fact that Jade works in a special needs school um, and the difficulties um, that that's faced during this time. Um, and also we talked a little bit about the sort of history of uh, Tory cuts over the last 10 years and how that affected previous schools that she worked in, especially um, in sort of uh, drama departments and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, check that out if that sounds interesting to you. Um, but yeah, um, so one thing that you mentioned uh, briefly in the last episode is that you you studied, was it drama was the title of your course at uni? Yeah, so I did drama and applied theatre. So drama and applied theatre is um, sort of, theatre in the community so theatre and education so right. we did um so we worked in schools did drama workshops in schools we worked in prisons wow um yeah that that was cool um so we worked in prisons we did a lot of touring so um theatre and education touring we put on shows within local communities we did a lot of um social cohesion um work in regards to bringing the theatre to 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 audiences of two opposite ends of the spectrum and having people sort of interact in that way um we went over to south africa and did some theater work over there um we did a thing called legislative theater where if there's um, a problem in the community then um people do forum theater workshops um to basically bring light to those issues um so you do a performance where you reenact something that had happened and people play different antagonists and protagonists and stuff like that and right. um yeah it was a uh, a practitioner called Augusto Boal so he that was his um creation so to speak um so yeah we did a lot of work about that and then um I went into education and did uh following uni i taught drama um in secondary school and did sort of yeah um, put on productions um and did some cover work in the drama department and then taught in that department for a while so yeah definitely didn't ever want to end up working in the school to be honest but it's what it is <laughs> okay well yeah we'll, we'll come back to that in a bit i guess in terms of sort of how you transitioned into to teaching um but uh, yeah, so so the applied was it applied theatre, so drama and applied yeah. theatre. Um, yeah. So the applied theatre side of it was the more the side of getting into the community. That was more that side of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's all it was. It's fundamentally all about using theatre and drama as a tool for change. Right. Um, and how you can use theatre and how powerful theatre can be. Uh, or drama can be whether it be in a therapeutic sense so drama therapy um or you know working within schools to target issues that are going on um, i'm sure you remember like when you're in school and you have like different drama companies coming in and doing like workshops about drugs or things like that you know mm, yeah um so, so yeah it was it was that it was really cool yeah, no, it sounds really interesting. Um, and so what for someone who, and this isn't my viewpoint, but for someone who might see, oh, well, going and doing plays uh, in South Africa or doing drama in these different communities that have got problems, aren't going to do anything. We need, you know, yeah. police, we need this, we need that, whatever, uh, who, who don't have, uh, who don't see any relevance of drama to tackle any social problems. What what yeah. did you see 
what what did you experience or learn in terms of what change it can make to these sort of communities? I think people need to remember that not everyone will talk to the police mm. to try and help change because not everyone has the trust in certain in in the government or you know if there's an issue that are going on like we were working in rural parts of South Africa in the villages mm. in really really deprived poor areas where there you know you don't just call the police if there's an issue the area is um essentially governed by the the elders of that community or the you know um because that's just culturally how it is and their way culturally their way of um dealing with things and and is telling stories and and doing things like that um and we did a lot of aids awareness work um because originally we were meant to go to malawi but there was some sort of um travel issues so we didn't end up going and so the whole project was about bringing awareness to um so bringing AIDS awareness and particularly supporting sex workers in Africa to um, use, to be careful, use protection and, and things like that. And sometimes it's not easy for people to, it's not as easy for people to go, um, you know, in the Western world, we think, oh yeah, if you have an issue, go to the police or you'll call the police or you'll call an ambulance or what, or what ambulance is different but you know what I mean yeah um but we need to remember that it's, that's not black and white we're very privileged well some people are very privileged mm. to be able to feel comfortable to pick up the phone um and speak to the authorities if they have an issue but unfortunately we don't live in a world where that's where everyone is comfortable doing so yeah um and particularly when we worked in in prisons and stuff um I'm not working with someone in a prison it's not really like their relationship is clearly broken down with the law mm, so yeah. it's all about therapeutically finding ways to tackle certain issues because there are often more to someone just committing a crime mm. um you know if you if you delve into um why that happened what's the social economic status of that person what what did they come from? What was their upbringing and things like that? And um, then you sort of see a clearer picture of how things happen and why things happen. And sometimes it's just about giving someone the tools to be able to express themselves mm. um, rather than, you know, we, we, we weren't trying to go in and be superheroes, but actually sometimes people have never been asked how they feel. Mm. Um, and people have never had the opportunity to express certain things um, you know within their lives and stuff like that so we did a lot of we've done a lot of mask work I worked in a women's prison before where we did a lot of mask work and um, the masks represented different personality traits or different things that have happened in their lives. I think sometimes when you use masks, it's a lot easier because you're not so exposed. Mm. Um, and it really helps people to open up about their experiences and what has happened, what have what has happened in the past. And sometimes it's just about um, just a little bit of, I don't know, healing, I guess, mm. to sort of get things off of your off of your chest and and just about working collaboratively in teamwork, I think that's really important, especially if you're trying to um, rehabilitate people back into the community where they'll go into, hopefully go into the workplace, mm. being able to work with different people and taking on roles and responsibilities is really important, particularly when you work in sort of youth offenders. Um, so, so in so, the prisons, you weren't like putting on a show, you were like, it was like more you as the students and I guess your tutor or, or whoever yeah. would be doing workshops is it more of a workshop thing or did it include a show as well like how did that sort of work in the prison so this is really so this is really interesting um we did so our job was to um go in and do workshops um in prisons um and we also did a prison arts conference so we organized a arts conference which is basically 
where we promoted the importance of art using the arts within prisons right um and we worked with a lot of other theater companies um to see what they were doing but what i also what we also had the privilege of seeing whilst um on my course is uh i went to a prison in bristol and the royal opera house worked with it was a lifers prison worked with lifers and they performed lamies so they they were funded so these independent um funders put money into this project where the royal opera house um put on a production of lamies with the prisoners alongside professional actors right okay. and actresses sorry like lifers it, is people that have got a life sentence is it or yeah life sentences right. yeah i've been in there for like 10 10 to 15 to 25 years Right, and right. they put on um, the production of Les Miserables, right. which was, I don't know how I feel about I still don't know how I feel about it. It's literally been 10 years and I still don't know how I feel because it was good um, and they really enjoyed it and the prisoners got so much out of it. But if in hindsight, from a therapeutic sense, it's like you watch this they did all this can you hear that siren in the background yeah it's okay though it's fine we're talking about prison <laughs> so it's sort of quite fitting <laughs> <laughs> um they did this well obviously they rehearsed for such a long period of time they put on a performance i think there were three shows and they had like a full functioning set so they transformed the prison gym into a full functioning set it had fly towers it had lights like so much money had been pumped into this right wow. And the audience that when I looked in the audience, it was um, like your upper echelon white, like upper to middle class people watching it. It was a really weird and strange dynamic. Right. Yeah. Um, and so they put all this, they'd funded this show, the prisoners put on the show, the show ended. And then it was like, that was it. Right. And I was just like, is it, is this whole facade just to make someone feel slightly better like oh, okay I've got this money um I want to give a certain amount of money to this charity to put on this show um just to make myself feel good and give myself a pat on the back and to avoid tax evasion <laughs> yeah and um so sorry so who funded the show like what type of was it the yeah so who funded the show so it was independent it wasn't like government funding it was like um investors so like rich people right. um yeah who because like who obviously enjoy opera and musicals and stuff like that and then um yeah they put on the show and then we had it like i had a seminar about it after my lecturer was talking about like you know do you what do you get more out of watching that? Because it was amazing. The show was mm. amazing. Do you get more out of watching that or do you get more out of, if you look at, like, we did some work in Scrubs Prison where, um, like, Scrubs is like, it's, I don't know whether you've heard of it, but it's just, like, really shit. It's, like, the oldest prison. Right. It's, like, just, oh, yeah, not good. Um, and the prisoners there, the, this charity came in and they taught them how to um, play instruments. So for like four weeks, this guy, like this guy, he 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 learned how to play the piano, but he only had like one hour of one-to-one session with this charity, like a week. Right. But he was able to like play, like I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, and it was really low budget. It was really basic. It was a really basic production, but they all came and they learned instruments and, and they were taught sort of self-discipline and they'd practice. And I think like I got more out of watching that than I did watching this big ostentatious production of Les Mis, to be honest, because mm. it just didn't feel authentic. It didn't fit. I was like, I, and the prisoners really enjoyed it. And I, like they definitely got something out of that during that time. But then I'm like, okay, but after everyone goes home to their nice houses, don't they? Mm. Um, after we watch that, and then they just so uh, straight after everyone like you watch it, you forget you're in a prison, and then as soon as the lights came up, they were in cuffs going back to their cells. Right. So it was it was really weird experience. So um so 
what was the main differences you've seen between the performance you put on in the apart from like the the production value um like what were I the think other differences? just who I just um I don't know I just think that the main difference for me was that the the audience so the mm. audience were when I went to the other one in Scrubs prison the audience were like family members and and I guess like people from the community but it was smaller and then when I went to you know when you go to the theatre mm. and people are like really dressed up and sometimes <laughs> when I go to the theatre like I feel out of place myself yeah um, and I've been going to the theatre for years but oh, I'm I just I'm always the minority when I go to the theatre right. um and you know when I when I went to the prison I was really surprised at the demographic of the audience members, to be honest. Mm. Um, uh, it was just people like dressed up to go to the theatre, not like they were going to a prison. It was very strange. Right. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. So what, um, what, like, why do you, why, in what way do you feel a minority when sometimes when you go to the theatre? Because the theatre is mainly um, white. Um and I'm not white, so right, yeah. the, when I go, like the audience is predominantly made up of like um, white middle slash upper class mm. people. And then when I go, we're like there's often like myself and maybe a couple of my friends, and then like an a, one other group mm. um, who make up the ethnic minority. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I thought I find. I used to find theatres intimidating, to be honest. Mm. Um, but now, not so much as I've gotten older. That you're not the first person I've heard that from, as well. Um, there's a a black girl I know who, um, she she's been in theatre for a long time. She's directed yeah. plays. She was really successful in Edinburgh, I think, last year or the year before. Um, she she's passionate about theatre and she's heavily involved in it. And she yeah. she expressed to me that yeah, just when you're the only ethnic minority sitting in an audience full of white people, it's just anyone in that situation is going to feel really just, yeah yeah like they shouldn't be there or yeah. Do you know what's so interesting? So a few months ago, um, I went to the theatre and I watched this play, and it was about um, post-apartheid South Africa. Right. And I expected the audience to have a larger, I, I expected it to be like majority ethnic. Yeah. Um, but it was me, um, my two friends and um, a family, a black family in front of us were the mm. only ethnic minorities in the whole auditorium. Wow. And I was like, so, con like, I was very, very shocked. And the, some of the racism that was in that play was just wild, like some of the off-the-cuff comments. Mm. And then I was, like, hearing, like, laughter, and I was like, oh, my God. Jeez, <laughs> like, what yeah. the hell? It was so... Um, it was really weird. Yeah. Um, it was really weird. I, f I left feeling, like, really angry. Mm. Um, but not... I thought the play was great. Like, the play was so good. Um, but just... I was annoyed that there wasn't more um, ethnic minorities in the audience because I feel like if there were and the, the show that we were watching, then people would have been a lot more conscious mm. of their reactions to what was going on. But then I think, oh, they'll probably just talk about it. Like if they can't say it, um, overtly if they can't react like the way that they did in in the play because of the amount of um ethnic minorities that are in the audience and they'll probably just do it behind closed doors anyway so yeah that's such an interesting point because it's it, it it's an interesting point as well from the point of view of like um your experience of a performance like it's not just a performance like you said yourself like you actually really rated the play um, yeah but the fact that an, an audience demographic and just the audience itself can really taint like your experience is yeah is is really interesting and um 
yeah, I think it's really important thing for especially white people or, you know, people who are ethnic majority, I guess, um, to to hear that. Um, so um, I know that um, my friend who I mentioned before, she was involved a lot in trying to reach out to um, ethnic minority communities um, because yeah. there is obviously a disparity in between um, the people that are going to these plays and are involved in the theatre um, yeah. and the people that potentially could be or want to be. Do you... Well, I guess there's a couple of questions. Did did you approach that much um, in your studies, like actually sort of uh, trying to target uh, ethnic minority communities and bring them more to the theatre scene? And and like, what's your what's your feeling about why that is? What why in a in an apartheid play um, are it so heavily the audience white? Um, yeah. So just if we could know your thoughts on that. I think, um, interestingly, I didn't, we didn't tackle that in university because the majority of people that were on my course were white. Right, the majority yeah. of people in my university were white. Right, yeah. um, so to tackle that, which I would be quite passionate about, like you mm. work in groups um, and a lot of your well in, obviously in, in drama or anything sort of creative that you have a lot of it, you rely heavily on your group um, and the syllabus actually so maybe the syllabus should have um, looked maybe the sh syllabus should have been more diverse in that respect mm. we did have obviously we did travel to Africa and do that but actually that's one thing but talking about the diversity in, on your doorstep is is important as well mm. um, and where you live and looking at where the demographic of where you live is really um, important yeah. but yeah we didn't do you know what oh my god so sorry I'm like gonna go off on the mic nice go for it but so I watched we watched this play um, and we had this module where we'd go and watch these different plays and then we would come back and have a seminar and and, and talk about it um, uh, lecture sorry and talk about it so we we went to this play in Stratford and it was called I can't even remember what it's called but basically it was a play about a Muslim family and it was really funny and it was like satire like really really funny um really comical and there were racist jokes within the play but they were sort of Muslims saying it about themselves, so like laughing at themselves. So it yeah. was just a lot of like racial satire in that respect. And so we came back and we had a big um, discussion about it in our group. And then this girl just felt so comfortable to put up her hands and say, and she said that when she came out of the station in Stratford, she felt intimidated because she was the only white person um, wow. around yeah mm. this is what she said in front of everyone mm. and then when she went to the theatre to watch it she felt uncomfortable because she didn't know whether to laugh at the jokes because she was one of the few white people in the audience mm. and I was just like oh my god poor you <laughs> and like <laughs> Cause, and then I remember saying to her, she was from Cambridge, and I said, so if I went to Cambridge and I came out of the station, would I feel intimidated? No, mm. but I would probably be the only, like, ethnic minority in the, or one of the few people that are um, brown yeah. in the station. So why is why can you feel uncomfortable, but I don't? What what are you trying to say here? Mm. Like, let's, let's unpick that. Yeah. <laughs> um and, and it's probably and, actually really good that she had that experience because yeah because <laughs> you know uh even though like you say like what what is she getting at um yeah for her, for her so, to see yeah. a side that she doesn't normally see even though she might not she realize felt uncomfortable it. and she felt threatened mm. it was like you feel threatened by just people walking in a station. No one mm. did anything to you. No one said anything to you. You got to your destination fine. Mm. Um, you just felt uncomfortable because you were the only white person in the ethnically diverse area. Mm. Um, but, you know, that's one situation. Whereas, like, 
that's every time I go to the theatre in central London, that's my experience. Yeah. But no one thinks about that. That's not, how can you feel uncomfortable? Nothing, you know? Yeah, I guess another reason why I think it's important that she had that experience and other people like her have that experience is because um, there can be this lack of empathy and understanding for people yeah. of ethnic minority that they feel out of place when they're the <laughs> the only ethnic minority in an audience yeah. but for them to actually see the other point of view and and really understand that is is so important um and not to pass yeah but also like. yeah but also looking at it as a problem like we get on with it we're in situations mm. all the time where you'll go to the theatre, you'll go to the workplace, every member of your management team is white. I That's every day. Mm. But, you know, I'm. it may feel slightly uncomfortable, but it's something that we've learned to live with. Like we haven't, you know, we'd like it to be more diverse, 100%, but mm. it's just our everyday lives. But now when it happens to you, it's a problem. Mm. Um, and that you know you felt so freely to put up your hand and say you know I felt really uncomfortable well I'm in this lecture hall with everyone who's white you know I've been doing this for three years love yeah 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 Yeah. you know this is my every day so it was just really interesting I can't remember what the original point was (laughs) (laughs) um Um, yeah well, yeah. So you you went to see this play, um, that which was oh uh, yeah yeah yeah. I remember. So that um, so the notion of like trying to make the theatre world ethnically more ethnically diverse wasn't something that we looked at because structurally the syllabus wasn't tailored to look at those type of things. It's something that we touched upon often, not often, but it, mm. we did touch upon it at times. Um, but on my course, there were one, two, four, uh, three others who were black and me who I'm mixed race. Mm. And then that was it. Yeah. And to be um, honest, from a from a syllabus point of view and from a teaching point of view, it doesn't matter even if every one of your students are white. It's still an important thing to be learning. Yeah, 100% it's an important thing to learn. So, But what I'm saying is even if we wanted to, the odds would be not like we'd be outnumbered Mm. because like we would be four people in a whole um massive group wanting to do one thing that's important to like wanting to touch upon ethnic diversity within the theater but you know everyone else if they decided to do something else regardless would be um outvoted yeah well that's that's a shame because that i mean i'm saying this as a white man um i think it's a shame that people would vote just along ethnic lines. Do you know what I mean? Like, for me, an issue with an ethnic minority issue is a societal issue. It's like it affects everyone. Yeah. And, and we should be empathetic of people, yeah. whatever their their situation is. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong. It's, to be honest, it's not something that... We can talk about it now in hindsight, but it's not something sure. that I brought up during uni. Sure. Because yeah. it's not something like you just roll with it and yeah. you just go with whatever you're doing in, in university. But I think now that I look back at certain experiences when I was in uni, I'm just like, no, that wasn't okay. Like, mm. um, just so many things. I'm just like, like, no, yeah, <laughs> not okay. So what? Um, what do you think are some of the barriers? Like, what? What? Like um and you can be as honest as you want about this um in terms of um yeah wherever you think there are problems that need to be addressed like what what do you think might be some of the things that are preventing more um uh ethnic minority students or uh actors or you know just generally uh going i just into the theater i just think that like you see the same black and brown people on TV or like I'm talking about your everyday Emmerdale EastEnders or whatever. Like you see the same cohort of, of black and brown people mm. on your TV all the time, mm. like all the time. And it's like, I feel like for people of color, it's 
okay, we've already got a black present. Like we can have one, we're allowed to have one brown main um, presenter or actor, but there can be multiple white female or males. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, that post is already taken. Mm. So by that person. And then, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? I don't think I'm articulating this very well, but I just feel like there's not, it feels for me that there's not enough room for um, multiple black and brown people to make it in the industry because it's like we're, it's it's very tokenistic. Right, so it's um, like they've, they've ticked a box, they've ticked the, we've got the black person doing the yeah, doing yeah, yeah. role and that we've yeah. ticked the box now so that we've, we're done with that type thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's what I feel like. And I, I just feel like um, people are now having to make their own, luckily people are creating their own content and they're making opportunities for themselves mm. to be recognized um in mainstream media which is really good and really amazing and people just need to keep on doing that but you know if we relied on other people giving us opportunities then it wouldn't happen mm. to be honest and i just think that um you know if, if you look at like things like you know when um there were going to be there was going to be a black hermione and harry potter Mm. everyone went insane like they lost <laughs> their shit because a fictional character was going to be played by a black woman mm. and her like what why is that an issue mm. you know yeah but why is she not allowed why is Hermione why is a black woman not allowed to play a bright witty um character in a play like mm. why why how why do you not see that picture and it's just like because people I don't know and I I don't know how to explain it but just things like that you yeah. know it, it's a, it's an effort for yeah. people because you know there's going to be a backlash there shouldn't ever be a backlash when you just have you know it should be down to whether that person is is good for the role or not exactly not, oh we've got the next black James, do you know what I mean? Everything's the yeah. next black this, the next black yeah. that. It's like, why can't they just be that person? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's a really interesting, really interesting point around that. Um, and, and I guess um, it really depends on the character as well. Like, most of the time, it just doesn't matter. Like, obviously, let's yeah. say there's two roles. There's, like, um, a slave owner, for example and a slave and it's in its sort of the slavery time then obviously the, the the actor playing the white slave owner should be white and you know so if that's what you're depicting during that time but for most scenarios like james bond or especially um, when they're fictional characters but the problem is when people pick up a book and they read a story the instant image in their head is not a black family mm. it's a white family mm. because that's the norm that's the societal norm and that's what's been indoctrinated into our brains mm. for years and years and years and years you don't see black dolls in the um in the shops or you know it's you really struggle to get a doll that represents like I really struggled as a child and I'm not I'm quite fair but I would always have a white Barbie doll with blonde hair and mm. blue eyes that doesn't look like me mm. um so you know that's <laughs> that's what people are going by because that's what they're used to that's what people that's what makes people feel safe and mm. for some reason people feel threatened or intimidated by an image of a black family when I was younger um I I was in stage school and I did an advert for crown paint and I was probably four um I don't know whether I told you this in the last time I did I I'm not sure um I don't think I, think I did so. no. but but um I did an advert for Crown Paint and it was on billboards. Basically, there was a white woman and a black man and me in the advert. And they piloted this campaign in London and up north. Up north, everyone complained. There were thousands and thousands of complaints about oh this, God. how disgusting it was. This was probably 94, 95. What? what, what? How... Sorry, carry on yeah how um like disgusting people were so appalled by this advert 
Um, so they pulled it. Just they pulled to be clear, the campaign. What what were they disgusted at? Just so we know. The fact that you had a um, like interracial couple. Oh jeez. Yeah, so they just kept it in London. That is mad, isn't it? That that yeah, I'm really glad insane. you brought that up. Yeah, you definitely didn't bring this up last time. Yeah. That's unbelievable. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And for you and so, to be a child at the centre of that, like looking back, like Yeah. Yeah. Like it's wild. Like it's it's absolutely insane. So, you know, people for some reason uh, uh, have an issue with that. Um so I think, and also like, I'm at an age now, like I'm nearly, I'm going to be 30 next month. And it's only now that I'm starting to unpick certain things um, through my own reading. And because I wasn't taught things like this in school, you just went along with it. Even in university, I look back and I'm like, I kick myself for some of the things that I let slide. Mm. Um, because I wasn't equipped with the knowledge that I have now or, the social awareness or yeah. you know you you would just let things slide people would say things and you would know you'd feel that that's not okay yeah but you would just let it go mm. because I didn't I guess I didn't have the I wasn't able to articulate myself in a way that I can now yeah and um, to be able to identify specifically like why that is wrong and telling someone why that is not okay yeah, no, I think I think it's really again, it's a really good point you brought up, and that's that story was really, yeah, unbelievable to be honest. Like, even though it was just as heinous as that story had happened back in the nineteen fifties, it would at least be like, well, it was nineteen fifties, but that that was nineteen ninety four. Did you say? Yeah, so around Which that time, is, I think it was like four or five. Yeah, and I think again, I'm speaking as a white man, so I don't have the same. Yeah, I don't have the experience, and I don't um I haven't lived that that life. Um, but it, it's interesting, um as well. So so I've always been a massive uh, James Bond fan, and yeah. um, uh yeah, I just I've got all the films. Um, apart from the last one that was released, because I didn't actually think it was that good. But um, yeah, <laughs> I've, I was fanatic when I was a kid. Like um, absolutely loved James Bond, and. Uh, then the whole Idris Elba thing came up. Um, and like you say, another really good point you made is that instead of it just being, here's an actor in that role, it has to be, here's a black person in this role. And here's yeah, this, yeah, you yeah. Know. Um, yeah. And, I, and I sort of brought this up with, I won't mention who, but a couple of people um, I know. Um, and I asked them uh, what they thought um, about, yeah uh james bond becoming black um and to my surprise they said um that they james bond shouldn't be black and i really and i was really surprised and it was i think it's just when you think um this sort of unconscious bias or unconscious yeah that's the thing you can have conversations with someone all the time and because you don't re ever really have like these racial conversations or conversations about race mm. like every day mm. with your with certain people like especially, your work colleague like with yeah or things like that but don't then, have this conversation enough yeah 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 so mm. um well like like me and my friends will have conversations about this all the time but there'll mm. be certain people like you might meet someone at work you become really close with or, or friends with and then when you get on this subject you're like wow those are your views okay yeah. cool yeah that's Hi. yeah exactly um, yeah and you need to take a step back but yeah it's it's crazy yeah and it just it just really threw threw me back and it's like you don't actually realize how some of these views how close they are to to home um yeah and yeah because you know like i said i've been a bond fan all my life and it just didn't cross my mind like it's like idris elba is a fantastic actor i was just thinking of all the the things about him like the the grittiness yeah. he showed in stuff like luther um but yeah. the suaveness he showed you know just thinking about how that fits with james bond um yeah it just um i mean obviously because it because it was so much in people's consciousness and none of us are truly colorblind i was aware yeah. that he was black but it just it was just surprising how much to actually say that this person shouldn't be in this role it was just yeah. so so surprising 
Um, and these and are the people that is, I, you know, they're not sort of people on the fringes of society. They're not, um, you know, really right wing. They're, they're actually just um, yeah. the people I was talking to are very reasonable and I really value their opinion on a lot of things. It's just, yeah. you find these little, again, but I say as a white thing, man. People you know, need to, yeah, people need to understand like their unconscious biases and, and need to understand that like, if they were in a workplace and they were interviewing and a colleague of theirs turned around and said they shouldn't get that because they're black, mm. they would be like, that's so racist. Mm. But this is Idris Elba's job, mm. okay? Yeah. So you're basically saying a black man shouldn't have that job. Regardless of what it is, regardless of it's James Bond, regardless of anything, that's his job. So you are saying you were denying a man a job mm. yeah. because of his race. Yeah, yeah fundamentally yeah exactly and people just don't like people think that that's okay like and and it blows my mind that people think that that is just an okay comment to say Mm. yeah like you know it's just like with the whole tesco thing when they had the recently with the advert about halal meat i'm never buying um halal meat i mean i'm never shopping in tesco again (laughs) like like what yeah okay So my view, and I'd be really interested to see your point of view on this, um, because I'm always happy to be proven wrong, uh, especially about stuff that I don't fully understand. Um, (laughs) My view is we sort of need, people need to have the free speech to say their unconscious biases and for this stuff to come up, for then for it to be challenged. So... I think, for example, when I spoke to these people and they said this view on James Bond being black, I'm glad they said that because if they didn't, then I couldn't challenge it or someone even better than me couldn't challenge it. Um, and, and I guess the same as the, I guess it ties into the, the girl in your lecture. Um, I think that's where, and I know it's a tricky line because you've got to be careful with free speech because then you get people saying horrendous stuff and inciting hate and all that. Um but as a as a general principle, um, I wonder if it's actually better for people to say their point of view and then for it to be completely pulled apart, um, or for them to feel like they can't say it. What what what's I your think sort of the view on issue, that? I think the issue with that is who are the people that are gonna pick that apart? Right. Because the people the people that are gonna pick that apart nine times out of ten are going to be black or brown or ethnic minority people, right? Majority of will have an, have an issue with, with what people are saying, right? They're right. the people that are going to pick that apart. Those people aren't listened to in society anyway, which is why people have those views in the first place. Right. So I think, I get what you're saying, but the people that will challenge that are the people that are often silenced. Right. The black, the black female... And I'm I'm not black, so I can't, I'm, but I'm speaking from experiences from my friends and things like that. I myself mm. have my own privileges of being a lighter skinned black person. Right. But you're if you're if someone said that in an I'm just thinking of like in a work environment. Mm. And if someone if you had that conversation about James Bond and someone had an issue with James Bond being black and you had your black female colleague, I say black female because they're most underrepresented mm. um uh person <laughs> um <laughs> in anything um but your black female challenges that right but the moment she challenges that she's at risk of becoming angry black female mm. she's at risk of becoming uh you know that pro black you know like yeah being stigmatized that, basically that's stereotype and she opens herself up for the onslaught of of assumptions and um you know the eye rolling or the here she goes again and you know what I mean I just feel like that that is could potentially then be damaging and do the opposite of the desired effect although like it's like an ideology that that would be the case where people could say that and then people would be able to challenge it and then their views would change but then you would need more people to have opposing views and what we find now is that people are feeling more and more comfortable to be so 
over about those things mm. um and people who aren't white who aren't black don't feel confident enough to challenge those people because they don't want to be perceived in a certain way right and so you know i'm sure you are confident enough and wouldn't have any doubt in your mind to challenge certain things mm. but that's not always the case it's the people that sit on the fence that's a problem so yes that would work if you had people sort of aligning themselves to challenge mm. um those views but at the moment we don't have that we have um a lot of people who sit on the fence yeah who you know that's, don't really yeah that's another really good point it depends on who you're around because like you say um if someone's got a really strong opinion and they're around other people who don't really like conflict and they don't like yeah. to have strong opinions about things then that person will be the most heard they will be and it will dominate um, yeah uh, and in that situation i can see what you're saying then um more sort of racist views will then thrive and then they can just gain momentum um, yeah yeah because yeah. you're also the moment you just I just think that when you challenge um people's racial biases in situations like that um when you want to have those those discussions I think for black and brown people it's it's very um it's territory that is you're risking a lot of things for someone else I just think for a white person it will be just a, a debate or a, a conflict but for a black person you're then at risk of being labelled as aggressive, mm. being um, labelled as you know the angry black woman, you know you it, it, you could potentially miss out on opportunities. Um, you then ostracise yourself, and I just think that it's so much more than having a discussion. Like you, mm. I think for black and brown people, you put so much more on the line when you have those discussions because you're like, this could not. It's not about you know the discussion there and then. It's like weeks on from that mm. you know you're everyone's perception of you and, and you just I don't know it's yeah. like you have to kind of I feel like when you're in the workplace you have to become a chameleon and that's unfortunate for um, black and brown people in the workplace or, pe or ethnic minorities you have to adapt and you have to constantly I feel like certain times you have to constantly just become I may as well just say it, just become whiter right you know like i just i just that's that it's probably not the right like the right way to say it but i just feel like that's what you have to do because people get um for some reason or another people are you know scared i guess yeah. or they're a bit like oh like the thing that really gets me at work is when like I feel like people will lay, label you as like, oh, you're very sassy. But I feel like what they've done is they've replaced the word sassy with like black. Like they've replaced the word black with sassy. Like you want to yeah. say I've got, you want to say I've got attitude. That's what, but it's always like sassy is like an appropriate way of saying it, of masking what you really, um, what you really want to say. Right. Um, sort of like the different labels between men and women. Like if women are like um, quite, uh clear with their instructions then they're called bossy but men will just be called yeah yeah um, yeah a good leader or you know whatever yeah yeah sort of exactly thing. exactly um but yeah so i think going back to what you were saying like i do understand what you're saying but i think that that's um because i guess bit, uh, sorry go on. um no i just i guess it's just from my point of view because I'm someone who who likes to challenge. Um, yeah. So then, so then for me, yeah, I see what you're saying. For for me, it's good probably when these sort of people pop up, you know, because I am in a, I'm in a position of privilege, so that it's not going to affect me as much as if it was um, someone of an yeah, so minority. Yeah. I I think it's so important. I so important for people like you who will challenge um, people's opinions and you know. Um, make people see a different point of view i think it's really really important mm. for um for for people to understand their white privilege and use that to educate others who are ignorant in certain aspects 
but sometimes it is really hard for um people of color to constantly challenge that because you've got to pick your battles yeah because you know we've got to pay rent too and if i did that all the time at work i really wouldn't have a job yeah 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 so um, have you found that in some ways with i mean obviously you don't have to be specific with people or places or anything but um have you found an aspect of you having to bite your tongue whereas yeah oh 100 percent. like 100 percent. yeah definitely definitely where people think um they're they're being funny or they make a comment and they um a lot since i've gotten older um and it is it is difficult because you know, you're trying to maintain professionalism when, to be honest, you just want to punch someone in their face. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or just stupid things like, and just, I know it comes down to ignorance, um, but also I think if I can pick up a book and teach myself more about things to make me more consciously aware of um, indu- injustices, mm. um, then so can you. Mm. Like, we all have access to Amazon, we all have access to the internet. If you get to a certain age and you still have certain viewpoints and you're in certain industries where it is ethnically diverse, then you need to educate yourself. Yeah. If you are lead if you are leading a team who are Muslim, Sikh, you know, Jewish or whatever, you need to be aware of people's um religions their cultures so you're you don't overstep the mark yourself and you understand if someone's asking oh i need holiday for this or um this has happened or i need a certain break so i can go and pray or you know what i mean Mm, like mm. you need to be you need to be aware Mm. um so you can be a you can empathize with people you can be a good leader you can understand you you may not be able to like really understand because you're different you know Mm. but you will have a sound knowledge of what people are going or have gone through what they're talking about listen to people don't just make your own assumptions Mm. about something that you know nothing about and that's the thing people always love to tell people how they feel oh no that's not racist because are you black like this is what I had to say to someone the other day Mm. and I was just like if you are not black brown or whatever race you're talking about do not tell people how they feel because you do Mm. not know Mm. it's like as a male you not you cannot tell a woman how she feels no as a female you cannot tell a male how that because you have no idea so please like and it's like everyone just feels so comfortable with with telling people like no that's not that or no that's not how do you you don't know until you can actually feel it Mm. yourself and when you actually go through it yeah so i just think that that's the biggest thing for me like in any if you manage in any sector if you manage any diverse group of people Mm. or just in general you should know like you should just know and you should be able you're if you're bringing kids into this world you should fucking educate them um pick up a book if you're angered by something and something triggers you then research and find more about why you're triggered and figure that shit out Mm. (laughs) like yeah um I think it's just sorry I was just gonna say like I think part of it as well maybe I'm not I'm not speaking for everyone who struggles with this but I think a part of it from um, a privileged point of view or um, an ethnic majority point of view is people underlyingly not actually accepting diversity they just I just sort of got that that from what you were saying is just like people like because if you just accept it, like that, I'm, I'm right. I'm going to go into. Let's say you got a job. You're going into a very diverse workplace. It's, you know, maybe you've come from a background where you've you've seen very, very few people of different um, ethnicities. Um, yeah. It's like th- this is a fact. You don't don't unconsciously um, fight against the fact and be like, oh well, you know, um, I may you know have like five uh, Muslims on my team, but um i'm i'm not muslim so i don't need to know what they get up to yeah you know and it's it's just it's an unconscious thing of like this is the situation this is the country you live in 
we yeah. we live in a, a very 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 diverse country i mean i i count one of my privileges actually i've i went to a secondary school so i'm from watford uh which is a wide range of uh yeah just very very diverse um in lots of ways um even economically um but yeah it's very diverse um so when i when i was younger as we all are we just accept the environment we're in and i grew up with friends of all different backgrounds and ethnicities and it wasn't it didn't have to be a conscious thing at the time of like oh well this it's just i grew up with them so i I naturally learned stuff along the way and therefore it's not a surprise and it's just accepted to me you know um and that was a privilege because it like for me racism isn't even a a thought because it's just normal it's just my normal background i guess Um, yeah whereas someone who has grown up um, a lot more shielded in terms of the exposure to diversity um unfortunately if you're going to be working in an area or you move to an area where this is a fact of life you've got to change pretty quickly and and if you don't change then then unfortunately you're going to be way behind and and stuff has moved on like and it's a choice like it's definitely a choice because i i went to uni with a guy from cornwall and he said that first time he ever saw someone who was black was when he was 13 because he was in yeah i know right but he was so um he asked so many questions he was so inquisitive um he wanted to learn like Mm. he wanted to learn he wanted to understand he wanted to be um culturally aware of things Mm. nicest person i've ever met so lovely so he took on the an approach that you think people should be taking on yeah i don't know so i'm going to find out and i'm going to ask questions not i don't know and i'm afraid because Mm. i just feel like the attack is basically you're just you're afraid of something like you're afraid of difference Mm. that's what your issue is Mm. Um, you know not you you know a lot of if you don't know something then if i don't know then i'm intrigued to find out more about something yeah Um, yeah fear of what you don't understand i guess yeah that's what people some people have yeah it's just bizarre like it's so crazy and then and then people like oh well um i i sometimes i'm a bit scared to ask because i don't want to seem racist i'm sorry but how is is it depends how you're going to ask me because if you're going to go on the attack then yeah it's racist but if you're asking me a question about something Mm. culturally or you know I don't know um about black people then I'm going to answer it and I'm not going to accuse you of being racist Mm. but just don't do the ignorant thing of asking stupid questions like about I don't know just uh, I remember I interviewed this guy once and it was about um there was a question about cultural diversity and he his example of cultural diversity was oh yeah i used to work with an african woman once and she used to come in with um different hairstyles okay so yeah i i you know had to get used to that like seeing her one day with braids and then you know two days later she had a different so yeah i guess Oh, well done you for being horrible of a woman's hairstyle. Because it's so difficult to get your head around that, isn't it? Like, what on earth? Like, what on earth? Yeah. Like, he didn't get the job. <laughs> like... Yeah. But it's just, like, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just yeah like you say it's it's the approach and i think that was a really good example you gave of someone who you know they didn't have the privilege that i had that they grew up around you know a very diverse group of people but he still didn't approach it he approached it in a good way he was like he really wanted to find out he really took this person i guess as a human being as like oh you're different from me that's interesting I'd like to learn more as opposed to like oh I read in the daily mail that uh, all people like you do this than that or whatever um yeah he's actually curious and open-minded and like what can I learn and even, yeah and even if you don't have the privilege of, of going to or living in London or going to or anywhere that's culturally diverse you mm. I'm sure you watch films I'm sure you yeah. have the internet 
So, you know, you could, there are ways of finding out, even if you live under a rock, there are ways. Because it, It's on, difficult sorry. though. I think, I think, like, again, correct me if I'm wrong. I think, especially like the internet and films and stuff, if you grow up in a culture which has got a view, for example, of black people, and yeah. then the the films that your parents will let you watch or the opinions they'll have after the film or um the 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 rabbit holes you can get go like tumble down on the internet for example you know like people just get sort of groomed into these ways of thinking and, and you know we all have a bubble on social media but imagine this bubble is like a really racist bubble um it's really difficult i think to rely on that stuff especially as a kid um but I think what I feel, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, the most effective way is is interaction um, with with you people. can you can you can interact though using the internet and things like that. Yeah, I think it it depends what like if you have if you have such a strong opinion about immigration and you're one of those get the immigrants out and mm. don't leave and whatever. Mm. Um, if you want to find out facts. Um, and you, you strongly believe that immigrants come here and take take the white person's job, like that's what you believe strongly mm. and that's why you, you have certain political beliefs. Why don't you do some research into how many jobs a Polish person has taken away from a white person or, mm. or a, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like if you have those opinions, which are really, really strong, mm. then research actually like facts. Mm. Um, and that's and it's just it, it just comes down to ignorance people like that don't want to research and that's why they have those stupid opinions because they're false yeah <laughs> and, and it makes sense and it's a, it's, a, it's a, like an attitude towards learning as well like some people feel i know what i need to know my beliefs are yeah. right and that's it i don't i don't need to justify it i don't need to whereas actually yeah you know you're a teacher so you you obviously have a have a a leaning towards you you love learning you 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 really believe in learning and growing um so maybe it's that as well it's just if people like clearly this person you talked about from cornwall he understood maybe on an unconscious level how important it was to learn and not to just be entrenched in these beliefs and never never question yeah um yeah it's true mm. it's crazy because then i have someone that's my age um obviously not naming any names but said to me that their um dad said that you know mixed race people are just confused and they don't know whether they're black or white so they just grow up confused and messed up (laughs) and I was like your dad as a white male is speaking on behalf of the entire mixed race population on earth yeah um and saying that well, I was like okay based on what mm. like how and that and that's the thing and that's like the white privilege thing is that youth like people seem to think that they are able to pinpoint how people feel mm. and make assumptions of how people feel and it's like no yeah you cannot like why do you think that you have the authority to do that mm. like it's just like what mm. how did you even formulate that opinion and and you bring up a good <clears throat> point like i'm guessing this guy was in his like 40s or 50s or whatever yeah um, people can go their whole lives to their deathbed and never truly learn like like yeah just just having that that realization of like oh maybe this belief i have you know maybe i should just question it like that that and, yeah and you know there's we've all done it and there's some beliefs that you yeah. actually realize actually that's that's a true yeah. belief and that i still got that belief because you've questioned it it's almost like a scientist you pick it apart and you go you know what's the research here what's the blah blah, blah. um and you think yeah. oh no that was a good belief i'm i'm still a supporter of that party for example or whatever um yeah, yeah, yeah. but other beliefs and these are the really important ones are the ones that you question and then you go oh shit actually that that's not a that's not true that is just it's just not true there's no truth to it and therefore um i should change my beliefs and therefore my my actions should change as well um yeah 
Yeah. What was interesting in that is is that um, his job used to be uh, a prison officer. Wow. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's where he based his opinion on from the um, the the prisoners that he used to like because apparently that that's what he saw at work. I was just like, this is ridiculous. Mm. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Well, unf- won't be going around there for dinner. <laughs> no. <laughs> cool. Well, unfortunately, that that is like an hour, over an hour. Um, ah, that was really quick. I know it's gone really fast again. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, we haven't actually talked about a lot of the stuff we, we were ha- gonna. I know. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> But again, like, it's just been wicked. Like, I just, we went off on this tangent, but it was so interesting. Um, and it, it was, yeah, definitely. Uh, there was so much that I'm really glad you said there was so many good points that you made and so many experiences you had um, that I think are so important. And, and yeah, I'm really glad that you brought them up because, yeah, I think more and more people should should listen to these sort of experiences and, and beliefs. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for letting me come on and, and talk and rant. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Well, um, yeah, we'll, we'll sort of bring it to a close there. Um, I'd love to hear anyone else's points of views on what we talked about. Um, but yeah, I would say with this one in particular, if, if you... If you enjoyed it, please share it. It doesn't have to be publicly. You don't have to do it, you know, on social media. You can just send it to someone, you know, the link, someone over text or privately or whatever. I just, yeah, I think this is an episode for sure that would be really good for as many people to listen to as possible. So please. Yeah, definitely. Especially if they're a little bit ignorant. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, yeah, just thank you very much, Jay. Thanks again. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.